now I think across the board, there's almost no doubt that prop tech is, you know, quote unquote real, and it's really here to stay and it's going to continue to grow. And so this has really helped accelerate the adoption of a lot of new solutions. And it's paved the way for incumbent real estate stakeholders to start acting in a more nimble way than they were previously. Hello and welcome to The REIT Report. I'm your host, Sarah Borgson-Keto. Today, we're looking at the latest trends and developments in real estate technology investment with my guest, Sarah Liu. Sarah is a partner on the real estate technology investment team at Fifth Wall, one of the fastest growing venture capital firms focused on technology for the global real estate industry. Sarah, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I'm, I'm really excited to be uh, speaking to all your listeners. Great. So can you start by giving me a brief overview of Fifth Wall and how it has come to take a leading role in PropTech today? Sure. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So Fifth Wall is a built world focused investment firm. We have over $3 billion in assets under management. We, and we are actually the largest built world focused technology investor in the world. Uh, we were founded in late 2016 by two co-founders, Brendan Wallace and Brad Groy. They saw that there was a massive lag in technology adoption in real estate and the broader built world versus other industries. So they wanted to help bridge that gap. Our first fund was $212 million, and we had seven corporate LPs, so one from every major asset class. Uh, we had CBRE and brokerage, for example, Lennar and home building, EQR and multifamily, so, long, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, we then raised and deployed our second fund, which was $500 million in 2019, and we deployed that through the end of last year, so 2021. Uh, that fund had 40 corporate LPs and included also an expansion beyond North America to Europe and Asia because we saw that there was a lot of broad-based applicability in some of the technologies that we were investing in, in international geographies and a lot of learnings to be had as well um, in a cross-border uh, capacity where you know, there were areas where Europe was ahead of us, there were areas where Asia was ahead of us, and there were areas, of course, where we were ahead of both of those regions as well. So there was quite a lot of translation that we could do there. Um, and now we're actually raising and investing out of our third PropTech fund. So we've split that uh, for the first time into sub-vehicles, one for venture, one for growth. I co-lead our venture vehicle with my partner, Dan. So that means we are usually leading and co-leading Series A and B stage financings in early stage companies that are maybe one to three or four years old. Though we do also actually participate in some seed rounds as well, so even earlier than that. My partners, Vic and John, co-lead our growth fund, which invests in later stage businesses all the way up to the pre-IPO stage. Um, and the reason that we made that split is because Previously, in our prior two funds, we were really focused mostly on Series B and C. We realized that you know, we were having to say no to some really fantastic opportunities where we could add value because they were too early. And we were also having to say no to really great opportunities at the later stage that, frankly, we might not have just caught the first time around. And so now, not only do we have that ability to catch all the deals in our space, but we also have the ability to support our portfolio companies, more importantly, through the entire life cycle of their business. And so that's a really exciting uh, evolution of our fund. In addition to our flagship prop tech funds, we've also raised more than $500 million for a dedicated climate tech fund, which closed recently. And we have additional vehicles for investing in retail tech and European prop tech as well. And so with all that growth, as you can expect, we've also grown quite a lot in headcount. 
Uh, we've gone from being 15 people in one office in LA when I joined to now more than 70 team members across five different locations. And one other recent update is that we've actually also moved our headquarters from LA to New York City uh, following the pandemic shutdown. So really exciting uh, change in location for us and uh, still a lot more growth to come. Great, that's a great overview. Um, can you talk a little bit about the changes that you've seen in the PropTech landscape over recent years and how you're adapting to those changes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that there's been a lot of change in a pretty short amount of time in PropTech. So I'll try and highlight you know, three that really stand out to me. So the, the first is the sheer volume of activity that's happening now versus a few years ago. I think four or five years ago around when I first joined the firm, the annual amount invested into PropTech was something like $4 billion, which is you know, nothing to sneeze at, of course. But uh, last year, I think that number was about $30 billion. So, you know, something like a six to eight fold increase um, in the amount of investment dollars going into our sector. And with that increase comes, of course, a lot more interest from generalist funds a lot of new prop tech funds coming in as well as mostly at the earlier stages, which we love to see given that we collaborate with both generalist funds and prop tech specialists. And in addition to new dollars coming into the industry, there's just been so much more high quality talent now that's starting to flood the industry. Because previously, I think, you know, a lot of founders might have thought prop tech was too small for them to really spend time in or be worthwhile for them to build in. And now we're seeing, you know, folks who realize that they can actually get that billion dollar plus outcome in the prop tech space. And so a lot more interest coming in uh, and a lot more talent, which is really exciting for us as uh, investors. Uh, the next kind of big shift that I think folks are generally aware of is, of course, the pandemic, which really accelerated the adoption of technology across all stakeholders in the uh, real estate and construction space. Um, just a couple of years ago, there was a lot of skepticism, frankly, around PropTech from, you know, both legacy owners and operators of real estate, as, as well as, you know, the GCs, construction stakeholders out there. Now, I think across the board, there's almost no doubt that PropTech is, you know, quote unquote, real, and it's really here to stay and it's going to continue to grow. Um, and so this has really helped accelerate the adoption of a lot of new solutions. And it's paved the way for incumbent real estate stakeholders to start acting in a more nimble way than they were previously. So uh, it's still not the type of industry where decisions get made overnight, right? Because these are generally multi-billion dollar oftentimes organizations uh, with a lot of stakeholders that they have to manage and a lot of processes that they rightfully have. But at the same time now, you know, instead of having to wait sometimes maybe more than a year in order to get a decision, we are seeing folks able to test and pilot technology um, with a speed to deployment of, you know, sometimes just a matter of weeks, for example. And that definitely wasn't there a few years ago because there was, I think, a lot more risk aversion. And again, there was a lot more skepticism around whether or not technology really was here to stay in this industry. And then lastly, as the industries evolved, a lot of valuable lessons really have been learned around driving ROI and using capital efficiently. So in the early days of PropTech, there were a lot of ideas, and frankly, some of them were more nice to have versus must-haves. So what that means is, you know, it might be nice to have a, a dog walking service or something like that, but in terms of, you know, the, the effort of implementing some type of 
dog walking app versus trying to implement some other technology that would also take up your time and resources, you know, it probably wasn't as much of a must have. So now there's much more of a focus on spending time in the areas that really directly increase rents or decrease OPEX and CAPEX that drive better decision making in a measurable way. Um, and so there's also been a shift in the type of capital used for different types of business models it's worth calling out as well, in addition to just you know that orientation to driving ROI directly. We've seen the evolution of the OPCO-PROPCO model. Um, so thinking back a few years, you look at Open Door, you look at WeWork, et cetera. These were some pretty CapEx intensive businesses. They had large balance sheets and they were using very expensive venture capital for quite a while actually in order to scale their businesses when they didn't necessarily need to, right? Because open door purchasing, you know, single family homes, for example, they had quite a lot of collateral. So um, in reality, even if there was a massive crash in the single family housing market, those houses weren't going to be worth zero. Um, and so what we see now is because some of those early movers have paved the way, startups are raising lower cost debt capital or real estate equity capital at a very early stage, rather than burning a lot of expensive venture capital to buy homes or make loans. And that, of course, is also a trend that's very relevant to a lot of the REITs out there. Great. And so do you expect that market uncertainty may dampen funding for tech adoption in real estate and construction? Yeah, so it's, it's a great question. And I think it's very related to that last point that I made around the standard for adoption of technology rising and it will likely continue to rise with market uncertainty. And so what I mean by that is if you're a nice to have product, then yes, I do think adoption will be slower. Or frankly, you might be actually a must have product, but a product that takes three to five years to recognize ROI, for example, then yes, there might be a little bit of reluctance to expend capital upfront, for example, in order to take a risk on hopefully seeing that ROI. But if you can prove ROI, especially quickly, or if you're a proven solution where others have already kind of two to three years ago adopted the solution and are starting to see kind of the actual yields already and you can point to that, then I think you're actually helping real estate and construction players buffer themselves against the uncertainty of the market by hopefully expanding their margins or growing top line or again, helping them make better decisions. And so for those players that are actually able to uh, drive that measurable ROI, especially quickly, I actually believe that it could improve their prospects for funding and adoption in the industry because a lot of players are looking for those solutions to help uh, buffer themselves against that uncertainty. And what are some of the key areas where Fifth Wall is collaborating with REITs and PropTech adoption? Yeah, this is a tough question because uh, there's quite a few areas, of course, where we're collaborating with our, our LPs, many of whom are REITs. Um, sustainability is definitely a big one, actually, given the rising importance of ESG targets, as, as you can imagine. So one pretty concrete example of that is our climate tech fund recently invested in an EV charging company called Loop. Um, and so we have seven LPs, actually, who are signed up to pilot that solution. Um, one of the really cool ways, I think, that we've been able to really uh, incentivize adoption is on that deal, we were actually able to structure warrants. So our LPs are going to be able to earn into the right to invest in the company at a really favorable uh, price and structure. And so that I think was a big part of the motivation um, and why we were able to get uh, such a large number of LPs signed up so quickly. 
Um, another area we've been spending time on outside of sustainability is property management, including maintenance and renovation. And so we're investors on the PropTech side in, in two companies that are relevant there. The first one, Lesson, is a managed marketplace for renovations, turns, and repairs. So that's a space that's been pretty painful as a lot of folks increasingly try to outsource rather than have all of their own uh, staff in-house to do those types of uh, jobs. Uh, and they're finding there's just not really the flexibility and capacity. There's been labor shortages, of course. Uh, there's quality concerns. And so Lesson really helps uh, smooth out the curve and provides that capacity. And so they were originally focused on SFR. They're working with several REITs in that space. Now they're starting to work in multifamily as well. Uh, so they, they've been growing very quickly and are meeting a really clear need that the industry has. Uh, another fantastic portfolio company in that realm that's uh, taking it on from a different angle, but has had just as much traction is a company called Taylorbird. Their renovation planning software they help accelerate the scoping and RFP process, and they're able to take that process down from several months to one to two weeks, which is a massive time savings that translates to roughly 8% NOI improvement, one to 2% IRR improvement. Um, and so because of that measurable, of course, ROI, like I was talking about earlier, they've really been able to see very quick adoption and they've leveraged computer vision in a, in a really practical and applicable way. And so what's really great about both those companies, again, is how quickly you can see, you know, the quality of the work improve um, and or kind of the NOI and IR improvement that you get from accelerating the process. And so th those are some of the ones that we've really seen get a lot of great traction with our REIT LPs. And Sarah, do you see scope for additional collaboration with the REIT industry? Oh, absolutely. I mean, despite all the progress we've made, we're still in the early innings, right? So there's a lot more opportunities for collaboration that we haven't tapped into or we're only just starting to tap into. So sensor tech and improved building management systems, for example, are a big area of interest right now. We saw an earlier generation of companies in that space that unfortunately oftentimes weren't able to get quite as much traction. Now, as hardware costs have come down, as we are really defaulting now to an open architecture ecosystem and the legacy players in uh, the BMS space especially are more willing to integrate, I think that there's a lot more opportunity there to, to make improvements in that space. Data and analytics as a broad bucket is still only nascent. Um, and of course, there's a lot more sustainability initiatives that we can drive beyond EV charging as well, like waste management, new materials adoptions, uh, and, and others. So yeah, there's, there's still plenty to do with the REIT industry from a technology standpoint. I think that Opco Propco is really interesting as well. I'm looking at, you know, can the REIT industry put dollars into the Propco side and maybe a little bit into the Opco side as well to, to really create kind of the next generation of REIT that is a truly tech-enabled REIT uh, from the ground up as well. That's something that's also really interesting to think about. And is it the case that innovations on the residential side are being adopted on the commercial real estate side? I, I think it is true to an extent. Um, there's definitely a lag between you know residential and commercial still. Um, I think that single family being the most consumer facing and, and maybe the most uh, simple as well and repeatable process definitely continues to, to charge ahead on technology adoption. But we're starting to see, I think, multifamily as, you know, number two um, in terms of their technology adoption. Uh, industrial uh, hospitality office and others are, are also definitely continuing to, to increase the amount of adoption that they see. and. 
it, it is challenging in commercial, right? Because there's just not as much of a, a repeatability there where we've looked at solutions, for example, to, to underwrite commercial real estate. And you just can't underwrite office buildings and office tenants in a cookie cutter way that in the way that you can for, you know, kind of that middle bracket of single family homes, for example. And so you, you can't quite apply a lot of the technologies one-to-one, so to speak, from residential to commercial. But we are definitely seeing, I think, a lot of the uh, a lot of the technology translate. Um, with the example, again, of Lesson being kind of the commercial translation uh, with an orientation on single and multifamily uh, institutional owners that we initially looked at from the uh, more consumer side of companies like Block Renovation, Made Renovation, et cetera. So, uh, the, I think there is some of that translation happening, and there will probably be more of it in the future, but uh, I would expect there to be a greater uphill challenge, unfortunately, on the commercial side than there is, um, especially relative to single-family residential. And finally, looking ahead, what are some project trends that you're watching in this space and that we might be talking about in the coming years? There's still a lot ahead. Um, for for me, it's really focusing on the most pressing challenges that we face, right? Um, so I think Fifth Wall as a whole uh, has a huge uh, prioritization of sustainability, again, and climate resilience, which I've mentioned with our new climate tech fund. That's an area that uh, my partners, Greg and Peter, and their team are spending you know all of their time on, and we're, we're dedicating a lot of resources. Um, beyond that, uh, from the prop tech side, we're spending quite a lot of time on uh, the macro trends and themes that we see uh, causing you know, pain, pain points today, which are housing affordability, labor shortages, supply chain issues, uh, volatile markets and rising interest rates. All of those things are areas that we're kind of translating basically into potential technology solutions, um, such as construction automation. We're spending a lot of time looking at how can we build for less? How can we actually get more people into homes as owners over time? Um, and there's a lot of financial engineering solutions out there um, that might work in the near term, whether it's you know rent to own, putting less money down, shared equity. But ultimately, we have a massive supply issue and we need to be able to build for less. And so that construction automation and robotics theme is one that I'm spending quite a lot of time on personally. Um, in addition to that, you know, labor shortages, we're really looking at ways that we can upskill existing workers. Uh, construction automation is related to that as well. Um, we're looking for marketplaces that can more efficiently help identify the right talent and the right skills. Um, we're looking at, in a related vein, equipment marketplaces as well, given that's very closely tied to the labor shortage. Um, the equipment obviously is very important in the construction space specifically. Um, we're looking at supply chain and materials marketplaces. How can we source more locally? How can we have more predictability, more price transparency? Um, and you know, across the board as well, we're, we're always, I think, looking at ways to translate that technology still across borders too. Um, I think Europe, frankly, is ahead of us here in North America on a lot of their sustainability regulations and compliance. So we're looking to them for that. Um, Asia, I think a lot of the countries there are more mobile first, for example, than we are. And so uh, we're, we're always keeping an eye too on, on seeing what they're adopting overseas as well and, and looking for opportunities to, to uh, execute cross-border 
translations. That's great, Sarah. Thanks so much for your insights today. Yeah, absolutely. It was a pleasure to, to chat with you. And to our listeners, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe or leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. 